This is Tailgate Till May, your place for year-round college sports talk. I'm your host, Stephen Gorgie. I'm excited to be back for another episode. Today, I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Ben Crowley. And Ben, this is an exciting episode because this Saturday, we will have college football. And we're going to have college football for the next few months. Not only will we have college football, I feel like this kicks off the whole just sports season, really. It's a dead zone from July 4th until the end of August, and then we get college football, shortly followed by the NFL, college basketball, the NBA, NHL, baseball playoffs. We just go and go and go, really, from the end end of August until the really, like, just before July 4th when we have the NBA Finals. So if you're a sports fan, this is a great time of year. I'm super pumped for it. How are you? Yeah, I'm excited. The only downside to it is it means it's the end of summer. But then, you know, that's the silver lining is now we got football. We got a lot of football. Um, It's not the best week per se, but hey, you know, you're getting football week earlier than you normally do. So you can't complain too, too much, you know, relative to years past. So there should be some interesting games, at least. You know, we got the big old UMass New Mexico State game. I know everyone's excited for that one. So, yeah, ready to go. The end of summer feels a lot worse living here in the Northeast or when I lived in the Midwest in Chicago than it did in Atlanta. Living in Atlanta, the end of summer never felt that bad because I knew really I had still September, October, even into November was going to be really nice. I, the fall was my favorite season in Atlanta, and I'm not a fall guy by any means. I'm not into the foliage, not into any of the pumpkin stuff. I am into football, obviously, but I thought it fall in Atlanta was amazing because it's still, you're getting 70, 80s, and yeah, it's nice. A and it's a Yeah, it's a, exactly. Fall. So I, I feel like that's a really a, a cold weather thing is being sad about the end of summer. Yeah. And don't, don't get me wrong, I love some, summer because I spent most of my life in cold weather places. But being in Atlanta, it's, it's not that bad. Also, one of my biggest pet peeves is like pumpkin beer is already out and has been out for weeks. And it just doesn't make sense. Like, it's still like 95 degrees out. And the last thing on my mind at 95 degrees is wanting to drink a pumpkin flavored beer. Gross. Like what is the reason behind that? I don't I don't quite understand that. Why do they want to get it out so early? I don't understand. Like I, I maybe like the decorations and stuff like that for early holidays gets you in the mood earlier. Maybe you buy more, but like I can't imagine anyone having any desire to drink anything pumpkin flavored right now. When it's like I feel like it's very much a cold weather drink. You drink hot chocolate when it's cold, and you drink pumpkin beers solely when the temperature is below. 55 degrees. I'm with you. It's an October, November type of deal for me. So I'm not ready for pumpkin beers either. Give me still into the summer ales right now. Yeah. Give me a light, crisp, refreshing beer. Um, You know, I always take an IPA as well. But yeah, anything pumpkin wise, it's just like even to be fair, I love some pumpkin beers, but not right now. Get it out of my face. Now, speaking of beer, have you seen that a bunch of schools are starting to have their own beer or their collectives are starting to put out beers? I think Indiana has some sort of beer. I think it's a, a lager of sorts. Let me see if I can find this. And then I mean, uh, Iowa brilliant. Iowa does too, I believe. Right, that's a smart move. If you partner with a local brewery, I'm assuming that's what they're doing. Yeah, uh, so it's Upland Brewing. They unveiled the first official beer of Indiana University Athletics, the Hoosier Game Day Lager. That's 
effing brilliant in my mind. Like, they're going to sell so much of that because it's going to be in all of the events. You know Midwest people love to drink beer, so they're going to drink it up. As long as it's decent and relatively well-priced, which I feel like you should make it a little cheaper than the rest of the beer, you're going to crush it. Yeah, I like it. It's a great idea. And I don't know if you've had a chance to check it out. I just put the link in the chat for you, but the can is great. It's the candy stripe Indiana pattern that they wear for basketball warmups as the can. I love it. I think it's fantastic. Cultivated based on direct feedback from IU fans. Okay. I like it. I like it. Wow. I mean, can you just imagine like if there was a Maryland beer like this and how many beers we would just drink during a tailgate, like with all these cans, it'd be the only beer that we drink at a tailgate. No doubt. No question about it. Great move for the brewery. Great move for IU. I like it a lot. Let's get into some football, Ben, because we do have football this week. Today, we're going to be pairing our week zero preview with our group of five preview, and they pair really well together because most of the teams playing this week in week zero are group of five teams. So let's start there with the group of five preview. It's going to be a little bit pared down. We're going to do all the group of five conferences together rather than go one by one just for the sake of time here. And then we'll actually get into this week's games. So Ben, let's start with three downs, our critical questions for understanding the group of five. And I'll start with a broad one for you. Which group of five conference are you most excited to watch this season? So normally when we talk about this, you know, it's American Athletic versus the Mountain West because that's kind of been, you know, the big heavy hitters. But I feel like this year it's just by far in a way the American Athletic Conference. The amount of firepower that they have at the top that, you know, with the two lanes of the world and then SMU, who's always been there in Memphis, but then you've got UTSA coming in too. That's just a lot of fun. Um, I think it's going to be a very top-heavy conference, and there's probably four or five teams that I could see win the American Athletic, which is just really fun because if we look at a lot of the other conferences, even the Power Five, it's like, hey, you know, there's two teams, three teams who have a chance of winning. But here it's like I wouldn't be shocked if UTSA won. I wouldn't be shocked if – you know, Memphis came out somehow, or Tulane, obviously, SMU, who has a really easy schedule. Like, it's going to be a lot of fun. So I'm excited. It's kind of weird. It's just like a big 14-team jumble of a mess, no divisions. So schedule plays a lot into it. So it's going to be interesting to see if some of these, you know, higher-rated teams and S&P and other statistics kind of get the short end of the stick with the scheduling and maybe someone like a... uh, FAU or a SMU kind of sneaks in there over Tulane or UTSA just because of the schedule and the way it shook out. So I'm excited to see that. Yeah, no divisions in the American this year. Just the top two teams will make the championship game. And it's a big year of transition for the American because, of course, you have Cincinnati, UCF, and Houston defecting and going to the Big 12, which caused a a whole tectonic plate shift at the group of five level. And so what the American did as a result of that is they went out and they raided Conference USA. They brought in six Conference USA teams, Charlotte, FAU, North Texas, Rice, UAB and UTSA and some of those teams like UTSA you mentioned they're going to be a contender for the title right away and others like Charlotte are perhaps among the worst teams in college football certainly the worst team in that division so it's an interesting year of transition for the group of five 
I'm excited to watch this league too. And I think you're right about there's going to be a lot of firepower. Part of the reason there's going to be a lot of firepower is because there's some very bad defenses in this league. I was checking out Bill Connolly's SP SP plus earlier today. He released his final preseason SP plus rankings last week. And there is not a single American conference team in the, even in the top 50, as far as defense goes, the best team in his preseason rankings is Tulane with the number 68 defense. Everybody else is worse than 68, including five teams here, 120th or worse. There's only 133 teams in FBS, and you got five five with 100 at 120th or worse. So there's some really bad defenses, some good offenses, though, for sure, with UTSA coming in the league with a Frank Harris at quarterback, SMU, Memphis, Tulane. They should all have good offenses. It is going to be an all offense, no defense league this year. That makes it a ton of fun to watch. I think that's the pretty obvious pick as far as the best league to watch, most exciting league to watch. I'm also personally very excited to watch the Sun Belt. I think the Sun Belt has kind of transitioned in an era where there's so much upheaval. We've lost so much regionality. The Sun Belt and the MAC are the two leagues that have really maintained that regionality, maintained those rivalries. They're, those two leagues are uh, the only, I guess, the Mountain West too this season. They're, they don't have any changes as far as their membership is concerned, where the American and Conference you have hit Conference USA have had so much upheaval this season, but the Sun Belt is a league where they're a little bit opposite as far as style of play goes. Their top teams are really uh, built around defense. Troy and South Alabama among the top teams in the league, and in those SP Plus ratings, uh, they are Troy is number 34 in defense and South Alabama number 56. You also have Marshall there at number 46. So it's a, it's a little bit more of a defense heavy league, but I just like the regionality of this league. I like the rivalries in this league. And this is a league that is really good or at least really good at pulling off big upsets. Because if you remember last year, some of the biggest storylines of the season were App State beating Texas A&M. Now, App State didn't even go on to make a bowl game. They didn't have a great season, but they pulled that upset off over Texas A&M. And then, uh, who was it? Georgia Southern beat Nebraska. Another huge upset for the Sun Belt. And South Alabama... People, I don't think, remember this game very well because they didn't end up pulling it off. But South Alabama very nearly beat UCLA uh, in week two or three of the season. I believe there was a missed, uh, either a made last-second field goal or a missed last-second field goal. The final score was 32-21. UCLA narrowly escapes, and we saw the season that UCLA went on to have um, another near upset for the Sun Belt. So the Sun Belt has shown they have that capacity. They have that ability to go and play some of the big boys and pull some of these big time upsets. And there's some really good coaches in this league. You have some cool newcomers and James Madison had a great season last year coming up from the FCS ranks, not being eligible to compete for in the postseason in a bowl game or the Sun Belt Championship game, and they were the best team in that east side of the division. It's unfortunate for them that they didn't have the ability to, to compete in the championship. And then just a couple of years ago, Louisiana was one of the national stories 
of the of the whole country. And of course, Billy Napier then goes and gets the head coaching job at Florida. But that's the kind of thing that a lot of these Sun Belt teams are building. They have a lot of coaches who are have those SEC pedigrees where maybe they've been on an SEC staff as an assistant. They're coming over here to the Sun Belt as head coaches and eventually they likely will be SEC coaches again. It's kind of a a breeding ground for SEC head coaches at the moment. And I think that makes for all that combined makes for a really fun league. Now the downside for the Sun Belt is it's a lot harder to get that group of five New Year's six bid. No Sun Belt team has has ever received that bid because so many of these teams are so evenly paired, so close, and it's hard for somebody to really step up and run away from the rest of the league. So I think those two leagues that are more heavily based in the Southeast, the American and the Sun Belt, are the two leagues that I'm most looking forward to this year. Yeah, I mean, even to what we're going to talk about a lot today is probably going to drop that name Frank Harris a lot from UTSA. I don't know if you remember the bowl game last year, to your point about... Sunbelt having a great defense. I mean, they gave him hell. I think he completed maybe closer to 50% of his passes, like under 200 yards. And Shorey came off and pulled off like the 18 to 12 win. So it's two varying styles of leagues. And so it's going to be, uh, you know, there's always a power five. Sometimes you, know, you got to keep a little bit more eye on the group of five versus the power five. Now, does the Mountain West does the Mountain West seem to have lost a little bit of its luster the past couple of years? Because I feel like there was a time it was so exciting. Boise was in there every year, kind of competing for that top group of five spot. Years in the past, even thinking about a BCS spot back in the day, you know they were always going eleven and one, twelve and zero, ten and two at worst. And then you've had years where Fresno State steps up, San Diego State steps up, Air Force is always pesky. Colorado State's had moments here and there they've been pretty inconsistent but they they still seem to have some some upside there but the past couple years I just feel like it hasn't felt the same like if I'm flipping around I'd rather watch the Sun Belt I'd rather watch the American than the Mountain West I feel like the Boise train just got old because they never got over that hump like they never made it to the BCS they had obviously the big win over Oklahoma back in whatever 2000 six seven um but i feel like they just win they just keep winning the mountain west and it's just kind of that's what they do they go and they win they had made jump to another conference but i'm actually really excited about them this year they were wild last year where they were really terrible at the beginning of the year fired the offensive coordinator uh what's his name hank i'm not gonna try and say his last name bachmeyer um went into the transfer portal and then Tanley Green came in and just crushed it as a freshman. So I think, you know, they what went undefeated in conference. Obviously they lost in the Mountain West championship game, but uh should be fun to see it, you know, Tanley Green another year under his belt and defense lost a lot of people, but uh, you know, Avalos is a good coach, so linebacker of the past. So he's usually pretty defensive minded. So I think, you know, once again it's gonna be of maybe another Boise championship, but it's not as exciting. I don't know. Just that's what it is. It's just what Boise's done, and maybe they can finally. Do they even? What's their non-conference look like? I don't have it up in front of me. They have Washington. I know that for sure. Oh yeah, that's the week one. So like maybe I feel like the Mountain West would be really interesting if they somehow go out and beat Washington, or at least play a really close game. Because I don't think many people are expecting to be that close. You know what's interesting? There's a couple years. For, well, first thing. 
you'd be shocked to know that since 2014, Boise's only won the league three times. Does that surprise you? That does surprise me. So, but I mean, San Diego's won it. San Diego State's won it a bunch. Fresno's won it a couple times. San Diego State's won it twice. Fresno State's won it twice. Boise's won it three times. Uh, San Jose State once and Utah State once. But Boise hasn't won it since 2019. So I feel like they just, I don't know if it's more you need that. Once you have a dominant team, you feel like you need to have a dominant team to keep it interesting, whereas the MAC never has a dominant team. So it's just kind of what you expect from the MAC. I don't know if that's part of it, but then there's also another interesting part of it where there were years where the Mountain West was just better or seemingly was better than the Pac-12. I remember, I, I distinctly remember Brian and I talking about it last preview season where the Mountain West, uh, we were calling it the Pac-12 Mountain West Challenge, and it was basically even, I believe, the year before. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but the Mountain West had fared very, very well against the Pac-12. And I don't know if it's some of like the Pac-12 losing its luster too. It just seems like West Coast football as a whole has lost some of its luster the past couple of years. Also too, I mean, people don't like staying up too late. Um, I mean, obviously it's going to be, I think, a different tune this year with all the quarterback power we have in the Pac-12, but I mean, people just, you know, go to bed early. They have kids that don't want to watch football unless they're doing something amazing that you catch consistently. Like USC was doing with Caleb Williams, I think it's just easier for good football teams to fall through the cracks, unfortunately. Which uh, you know, it's part of the reason we will no longer have a Big Twelve or Pac Twelve, excuse me. Well, I always think when I think about the Mountain West, and I know that these teams are not always part of the Mountain West. I think they were part of the both part of the WAC at some point. But Fresno State on Friday nights playing host to big-time schools or going on the road to big-time schools and pulling upsets and Boise State doing the same thing on ESPN. I feel like you do need that one bell cow to kind of make it interesting to, to some extent. And uh, we'll see if Boise can can do that this year and reestablish themselves. I think it's a very interesting year for them. And I think it's an interesting year for a lot of schools in the group of five, because as I mentioned before, Cincinnati, UCF, and Houston are now off to the Big 12. And that really leaves a big opening because those three schools accounted for five of the group of fives and nine new year six bowl appearances that also includes Cincinnati's CFP appearance. So those three schools were, uh, you know, by and large, the best schools along with Boise in the group of five for a long time, since we started calling it the group of five really. And now there's a big opening. So is there a school or maybe a group of schools that you think are best positioned to take over that throne as king of the, the group of five over the next couple of years? So obviously Boise, like we talked about, they've been there. They've been that team and whether they can get back onto it. I mean, they have the history, which is good. Um, they, I think, are poised a really good year this year, which can help start that momentum. But I think a big team that benefits from it is Memphis. I mean, they've been there a lot in the last, what, five, six years. And obviously Mike Norvell's great head coach. Now he's moved on. Um but I think with that Cincinnati Houston leaving, they're kind of, you know, one of the top dogs and they've always recruited very well for a group of five school. So I think that gives them a chance to shine and for them to start winning more championships than they have. Cause I can't remember the last time they actually won the American athletic, but I think 
they're the ones that are most poised to make that step up, kind of fill in that gap and be a perpetual, you know, New Year's Six Bowl contender. I mean, you've got great stories like Tulane, but I just don't think they're set up yet to continually contend year over year. Um, but I think it's kind of Memphis is, if I'm a Memphis fan or in the University of Memphis, like, all right, this is our time to shine, baby. So you got anyone else on your mind? There's one team that really stands out to me, and it's SMU. And if you've been following any of the news coming out today, you know they, they really want to get into the ACC. We'll see if it happens or not. But they want to go into the ACC so badly that they are willing to forgo seven years of media payouts to enter the ACC. And that kind of tells you the kind of monetary power the boosters at that school have, the kind of financial prowess that they have. And if there's one thing that we know about college football, it's that financial prowess and money are a huge indicator of success. So if they're willing to do that, that shows me they are very, very committed to football. If they continue staying in the group of five, I think they have a huge chance. And it's not just that, it's also their history, right? We, we've seen that they are committed to football in the past. There's a culture of football going back to that those Southwestern Conference days. So if they stay in the group of five, I think that's the school that has a huge chance. I don't know that there's anybody else really I, I think you're right about you know Tulane had a great year but they are not there yet where they're perpetually a year in year out team I'm curious if there is somebody in the Sun Belt who can do it uh, UTSA is interesting because they have built a program very quickly that's very successful um, their head coach trailer signed on for for, he signed an extension. He's going to be around seemingly for a while. You know, he seems committed to to being there at, at, at least seemingly for a while. But you know, you never know if a, a Big Twelve school comes calling, an SEC school comes calling. He is a he's a Texas guy, a state of Texas guy. So if one of the big Texas schools come comes calling, he might leave. But they were also able to keep Frank Harris. It shows me that there is some investment with NIL. Frank Harris could have gone a ton of places. I bet I bet Florida would be glad to have Frank Harris on their roster right now. And uh, he chose to stay at UTSA. So to me, that's a really good sign. I mean, they're still in their infancy as a program, but they've now won back-to-back conference titles. They have a chance to compete for another in a more prestigious league this year. I do wonder if that's the kind of school that could really step up and build something if they're able to keep trailer there for the long term because they have that kind of investment. It's just so hard in the group of five. I mean, even at Boise, we've seen them rotate through so many coaches, whether it's Peterson or Harson, and they were able to sustain it over a bunch of different coaches. That's what you have to be able to do when you're a group of five team, because there's always going to be a bigger fish out there. So many of these coaches want to coach at the highest level. I mean, you can't blame them. They're competitive guys. Everybody wants to compete for national titles, compete at the highest level of the sport, but it's, can you continue to succeed across many different coaches. And I think a huge part of that is the infrastructure, the culture of success that you build. And when I say that, I don't mean that like in a coach speak way. I mean, how invested in football are you? How willing are you to spend and do the things you do need to do, whether it's NIL, whether it's facilities, uh, whether it's just now with more spread out conferences and is making sure that you have the optimal travel arrangements and the optimal um, 
recovery systems in place to make sure your players are getting rest and the treatment they need. It's who can do that. So that's kind of what I look at here. And I still think SMU is the the most well-prepared among them. But UTSA is one that I want to keep my eye on just a little bit as we have this conversation. Is anybody else uh, sticks out to you, Ben? No, and to your point, I just want to mention, I think this is the biggest benefit of NIL is guys like Frank Harris, who would probably be day two or three guys in the NFL draft. So in years past, you know, do I want to play another year or in a group of five or do I want to go make some money? Where now he can make some money and then try and win a, you know, conference championship and maybe make a New Year's Six Bowl. So I think that's one of the biggest benefits of NIL from like a you know fan perspective is seeing guys like this come back for another year, run it back and try to make it a three P, you know, so it's pretty exciting. But, yeah, but I would, I would argue with you on that though, because I think the transfer portal, I think the NIL and transfer portal together have hurt the group of five far more than it's helped the group of five. I think if you had NIL alone without the immediate, immediate eligibility transfer and the transfer portal, I think that would help the group of five a lot more. But I think a lot of these schools have been really hurt by the combination of the two. I mean, even a school like Maryland that we're a fan of, you saw uh, CJ Dupree, the tight end, he had a really good year at Maryland last year, and then boom, off to Alabama. And uh, I think we've seen a lot of that. So I while in this instance it did work out and they were able to take care of Frank Harris and that, and that's awesome. I think just the combination of the transfer portal and NIL has favored the big schools much more than it has the, the G five. I mean, even sticking with UTSA Zachary Franklin, who's been their best run receiver is now Ole Miss pretty much for that reason, because he can transfer one year and go to an SEC school. And yeah, so to be fair, yeah, you're right. I guess in that regard, once you throw the transfer portal in, that really does kind of throw a wrench in my argument. So let's focus our attention here a little bit more, Ben. We've been going kind of macro, looking big picture. Let's narrow our focus and look at one specific school. And that school I want to look at is Toledo. So they won the MAC last year, but they finished with five losses. They were seven and five in the regular season, beat Ohio in the MAC championship game, and then won their bowl game to finish nine and five. Overall, a, a very good year, but not the kind of year that gets you into the New Year Six bowl conversation or really even earns you any national attention. So are, is Toledo primed for a true breakout year this year where they can compete for the max first New Year's Six bid since Western Michigan did it in the 2016 the season? Boat. I mean, all the signs say they should. I mean, what this team has, I mean, one of the big things too is their defenses, like their secondary is nasty. They had the third lowest passing success rate in FBS last year. Their two cornerbacks combined for six interceptions, 27 pass breakups, and also, you know, had some tackles for loss as well in there. So I think the biggest thing is when I look at Toledo, it's every year of it we talk about, is Toledo going to do it? Is Toledo going to do it? You know, Candle obviously had a good start, but, you know, he's only 33 and 25 in the last couple of years, including the nine win season last year. Um, so. It's just, I feel like they don't get it done in close games. And that's the biggest thing that I'm curious to see is can they finally pull it out in some close win games? Candles 9-14 at Toledo in one-score games. And then can Daquan Finn take the step forward? I think that's the 
biggest question I have for Toledo. I mean, I think they're going to, you know, compete in the MAC, obviously, but for them to get a step above and get into that New Year's Six conversation with all these other group of five schools that are really good, he's got to get better. He's got to complete, you know, more passes. QBR last year, he was 67th in the country. It's not too good. 23 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. He's got to kind of take out, which is funny because year before that, he only threw two interceptions to 18 touchdowns. So maybe something was just off last year, but he needs to get back to that level of taking care of the ball. And I mean, he's was pretty good. Um, like in 2021. So if he can get back to that level, their defense stays good. They have a chance. I don't believe it fully yet, but I could see it happening. You know, it's just, I've been bit by that Toledo bug before, you know, I've placed a few bets on him before in the past, very confident preseason, and then it just all kind of goes to hell once they actually get on the field. You got to give me over 60% completion percentage if you're Daquan Finney. You, you got to give me over 60%. I mean, that's just not going to get it done. No, I mean, everything you said is right. Everything is set up for them to, to make some noise. They have a huge number of returners and of returning production coming back. They were a good team last year. Not great, but good. They have always recruited at a higher level than the rest of the Mac. They're definitely a a have when it comes to the Mac and not a have not. And as far as the schedule goes, they got to, if they want to make noise, they have to win on the road at Illinois to start the season. There's certainly worse big 10 teams you could play, but there's also better big 10 teams you can play. And you know, I'm with you. It's it's kind of a it's a vibes thing to some extent, but when you continuously lose close games, when you continuously fail to show up when you have a talent advantage, I have to question if you're ever going to be put together. I mockingly call them all the time the Texas of the Mac, right? And and I believe Great that's name. that's really what they are. They're the, they're the Texas of the Mac because I feel like I I consistently hear that Toledo so much better than everybody else in the Mac, but year after year, other teams win the Mac very similar to what happens in the big 12 with Texas. I mean, look what happened last year. Eastern Michigan led the game the entire time against Toledo, gave it up in like the last two minutes. And that was the difference because Toledo won the tiebreaker head to head to get into the championship game. So it's, such a close shot. Like if they're that much better, like you say talent wise, why are they barely scraping in to conference championship games? And in that championship game, Ohio didn't have Curtis Rourke, who has one of the best nick- nicknames in all of college college football, the Maple Missile, the Canadian quarterback at Ohio, That's one of amazing. the most uh <laughs> yeah, it's a fantastic nickname. I knew you would love it. They didn't have him in the championship game. So, you know, Ohio, who knows how that goes. Uh, Daquan Finn was banged up, didn't play the last two regular season games of the year, then does play in the MAC championship game. They win a close one, but Ohio not at full strength. So, look, oh, Toledo, they to some extent got the job done. They did win a conference title last year. Uh, count me among the skeptical on whether they can truly week in and week out be a dominant team like that Western Michigan team was and, and get to a New Year's Six Bowl. The MAC is just... It's such a close league every year. The it's like it's the one league where 
you really feel like a team can go from worst to first and first to worst in any given season. And you just look at Northern Illinois a few years ago. So I certainly would not bet them to win the win the league as a fav- as a heavy favorite. Yeah, I feel like no MAC champion ever like to get into the conference game ever has ten wins. It's always like eight, seven, nine. I feel like even Northern Illinois year when they were really good with that quarterback who's escaping my memory, they were like nine and three going into the championship game. No doubt, no doubt about it. So let's get into some of our G5 bets, Ben, and I'll uh, kick things off. Mine are really AAC heavy, and I'm going to start with two bets that I'm going to pair together here, and they're both conference championship bets. So my first is Memphis at plus 800 to win the conference, and look, I look at the odds here. This is really a a value play for me, and uh, that is plus 800 at Caesars. Make sure you shop around on that because there's a huge discrepancy between what I see at FanDuel, where it's plus 650, DraftKings, where it's plus 600, and Caesars, where it's plus 800. So make sure you're getting those 8-1 to odds here. I think there's a ton of value. This is a team with those three big dogs leaving. You know, Ben talked about them as one that might be able to step up and and take the reins, but without Cincinnati, UCF, and uh, Houston in the league, Memphis is kind of that natural team to take that next step up they've consistently been one of the better recruiting teams in the conference over the last five years they finished third second second fourth and second Uh, the only team they finished behind who is not named Cincinnati UCF or Houston is actually UTSA this past season so a very consistently good recruiting program at the G5 level. I also love their schedule this year they don't have UTSA they have SMU at home and they have Tulane at home uh, Bill Connolly has six teams ranked 100 or worse in SP Plus, and Memphis has four of them on the schedule. So basically four of the six worst teams in the AAC, Memphis has on the schedule. I think they're going to be really good on offense. I think they're going to have questions on defense, but I don't see them fundally, fundamentally different than SMU, who I think is going to have the same questions, and they're plus 300. Memphis is plus 800. I really like the value here. Uh, their quarterback, Seth Hennigan, has been around for a while. I think they're going to put up points and the question is going to be can they win close games this is a little bit of a shot here but i like to value it eight to one yeah i mean that's a we put the odds there that's the thing like the way you put it eloquently is they're you know similar teams like smu who are plus 300 they're plus 800 you never know how it's going to go in these you know this isn't the acc with two clear-cut contenders that's a fantastic bet i don't stamp it but i like your logic the other team I'm betting in this league, too, is UTSA at plus 450 to win the league. Uh, back-to-back con- defending Conference USA champions, now taking a step up into this new league. But this isn't the same American that we've seen because those teams are leaving, right? They're going to the Big 12. And I think UTSA has a chance to come in right away and win this league. We've talked a lot about Frank Harris already. I I love the consistency that they've built at UTSA, and I'm going to take a shot on them at at plus 450 to go out and win the league. Tulane had a great year last year. Don't get me wrong. But two years ago, they were not very good at all. They they, they were kind of a first-order story last year. I don't think they've built up the consistency yet where you can just say, okay, Tulane uh, returns their starting quarterback, 
let's pen them into the to the AAC championship game. They they're the favorite to win the league. Players. They did. Uh, they're the favorite to win the league, but I, I really like taking a bit of a shot against them. And the two I'm going with are UTSA and Memphis. Ben, what are you looking at? Um, so sticking within the AAC, and I'll stick within UTSA. It's not as sexy as a uh, you know bet yours is with your plus three hundreds plus or excuse me plus four fifties and plus eight hundreds, but UTSA over seven and a half. I feel like it's just easy money. And just looking at it, I mean, they do have some tougher non-conference. They do play Tennessee, but it's over seven and a half at minus 154. I mean, they play Texas State. They play Army, Temple, UAB. Who knows what's going to happen with them this year? They do have two tougher games. You know, they play at Tulane, but just going through, I can see eight, nine wins easy just based on the schedule. You know, they could lose to Tulane, lose Tennessee, and still hit that seven and a half very easy. Um so I'm very bored the UTSA train with you. And then the other one that I have sticking within there, <clears throat> I know you uh, may argue with me a little bit on this, but uh, Florida Atlantic, you know, Tom Herman wasn't a very good Longhorn. And uh, they've got a little tougher, uh, you know, their schedule. I will give them this. They did bring back, I think they're 11th in returning production this year. They avoid SMU. They avoid Memphis. They have Tulane and UTSA at home. But I just don't see them winning that many times to get the seven and a half or the eight wins because I'm going under seven and a half. They're going to lose to Clemson. They're going to lose to Illinois. I think they're going to lose to both UTSA and Tulane. So give me one other win and some of those other closer or one other loss, excuse me, some of those other close up toss up games. I'm taking under seven and a half all day long. I think it's minus 120. Um, so the over is only minus 102. So it's minus on both sides of that coin, which is kind of annoying. But uh, yeah, you uh, you got something to say about that? Your face doesn't look too happy. I like Florida Atlantic. I would argue with the fact that I see this is what bugs me. And it's kind of a Texas thing. How is Tom Herman fundamentally different than Steve Sarkeesian so far? They're very similar to me, other than the fact that there's a little bit more recruiting hype around Steve Sarkeesian and what he's done and who he's brought in than Tom Herman. But Tom Herman never recruited poorly. It's just, it's funny to me. I feel like he got a bit of a raw deal there. I feel like he has proven a lot in his career as a coach. He was the offensive coordinator at Ohio State. They won a national championship, I believe. So I think he was the offensive coordinator of the year that they beat uh, Alabama in that inaugural college football playoff the first ever college football playoff they pulled that big upset and then Nick Saban wanted to know everything about that offense and how to make his offense more like that then he went and over to Houston and had a ton of success at Houston I I think he's a guy who's done very well really everywhere he's been and I don't think he's done differently at Texas than a a bunch of other people have. So uh, I like Tom Herman. I like his ability as an offensive mind. I like his ability to build a program at this level. I also like Casey Thompson. I, as their quarterback, he transferred from Nebraska, believe it or not, Tom Herman recruited him to Texas back in the day. I know this all seems like a lifetime ago, but I thought Casey Thompson performed very admirably in a tough situation at Nebraska last year. Uh, I think I really like that pairing together. And then when I look at their schedule, I don't think it's that hard. I let me, let me find it again here, but I see five 
I, I see five. To me, there are five essentially lock wins on this schedule. Monmouth, Tulsa, South Florida, Charlotte, and UAB. Yeah, a couple of them, are, three of those, South Florida, Charlotte, and UAB are on the road, but I think those teams are just that bad that Florida Atlantic has got essentially five locks on the schedule here. Uh, and then they got a bunch of toss-ups with Ohio at home is a toss-up to me, East Carolina, and on the road at Ice at Rice. So, yeah. I mean, I can see I'm not putting my money on it one way or another. I I just think that this is a team that could have some magic this season because of the quarterback-coach combination and then a relatively easy schedule. So I'm not going to go directly against you, but I'm not backing you here, Ben. Do you blame Maryland for Tom Herman's failure at Texas? I mean, it didn't help. You know, <laughs> you can't lose to Maryland two times in a row to start the season zero and one when you're at Texas. You just you can't do it. Yeah, it's pretty great, pretty great though, man. Best moments of my life, one of them. Okay, let's stick in the AAC, Ben. I'm going to finish out with a couple of win totals here. Two teams I'm going under on: Tulsa under four and a half wins, UAB under four and a half wins. Uh, a stat I've been talking about a lot of this off season is TARP. It's a, a stat created by the Action Network that stands for Transfer Portal Assets and Returning Production. Basically measures how much you have coming back or how much you have losing are, are losing, but also includes the transfer portal. These two teams, UAB and Tulsa, are tied for the worst net TARP in the country. They are dead last. Um, they're tied with Charlotte and Kent State for the worst. As far as Tulsa goes, they have a, a ridiculous schedule where they play Washington and Oklahoma. And then they're going through a coaching change, as is UAB. Their head coach is Kevin Wilson, who was uh, previously the Indiana head coach. And then there it was a very vague separation where we don't know a lot of the details in terms of why Kevin Wilson and Indiana parted ways, but essentially it was around like player treatment issues where he wasn't treating his player concerns about player treatment. So um, they ended up making that change. I believe he officially resigned. He he wasn't fired, but um, you know, it was, it was centered around player treatment and I don't, necessarily know why you go and hire somebody with that kind of background in 2023 um interesting it's treatment of injured players and they resigned do the what the athletic director called it philosophical differences (laughs) which is such a vague way to say that that's why they're parting ways yeah either way Indiana didn't seem too broken up about it, right? And even though we haven't had too many details about it, they moved on, and he's a guy who's bounced around a little bit. He was at Ohio State, I believe, as the offensive coordinator for some time. And uh, I'm just not sure why this is the move that Tulsa made. They also, very bizarrely, didn't hire a defensive coordinator until May. I don't understand that at all. Um, so combine all that together. I think Tulsa is going to be in for a really rough year under four and a half. 
The other school, UAB, I'm going under four and a half on, is also going through a coaching coaching change with Trent Dilfer taking over as the head coach. And you kind of hear that name, Trent Dilfer. Obviously, it's a big name. He's a guy that's been on ESPN. He's a guy that's won a Super Bowl. He's a guy that has been very vocal with them in the media about daring teams to come take my players in the transfer portal and that kind of thing. But look at his resume. Uh, it's essentially non-existent. He coached high school football and he didn't really coach at what you would consider a power or anything. It's not like he coached at a school like modern day in California that churns out college prospects after college prospects. It's not like he coached at DeMatha here in the, in the DC area where that, that churns out a ton of a ton of college and pro players. He it's not, when you think about college or high school coaches moving up, this is not the path that you usually take. This is not Joey McGuire going from a, a high school Texas coach to an assistant at Baylor to the head coach at Texas Tech. That is not the situation here. Um, I think there's major potential for both these teams to quit on these coaches at some point in the year. I think you're probably going to see some major roster turnover both places and um, that's why I'm betting against both of them. You combine the the tarp numbers and the the head coaching situations, and and give me under four and a half for for both schools. So it's just really funny to me to be like athletic director, or whatever, of a big time college, and then see Trent Dilfer be like, oh yeah, he's won back to back Division two class AA championship games in Tennessee. We got to hire this guy, and it's just. Funny to me, like he has four, no, yeah, four years of coaching. One of them's like COVID, so it's pretty wild. It doesn't make any sense, especially for a program that was literally it. It was dead. It got brought back. UAB has been through so much. It's been such a great story. Bill Clark, the former head coach there, did so much to build up that program and to just take it in this direction. I, I just frankly don't understand it. I think UAB would be much more well-served to go get a guy, a couple guys that are in the Sun Belt right now um, who have that SEC pedigree that I've talked about and are, and are doing really well as head coaches. You have uh, Summerall, Womack, and and Huff all in the Sun Belt, and I feel like that's much more the kind of coach that would be better suited for this job than Trent Dilfer. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting, some uh, real interesting jumps to the FBS for some first-time coaches with Dion and Trent Dilfer this year. So obviously Dion has way more you know, pedigree than uh, Trent does. So have you heard before I give my other bet, Trent Dilfer's uh, mantra? It's UAB football, no problems, only solutions. That's something that would have been on the wall at Dunder Mif- Mifflin. There would have been a poster that says Dunder Mifflin, no <laughs> problems, only solutions. It's like that, like random, always cat poster. It's like hang in there with the cat slipping. Like it's one of those very generic, like, uh, I cannot clip art, but you know, the sample art things that someone just makes a very vague statement on. But the last one I've got is, uh, Boise State, a little juice on this, plus 134, over eight and a half. So Boise State obviously had a really weird year last year, as we spoke to earlier. Went undefeated in uh, the Mountain West Conference play. Lost. Um, I just, you know, there's 
the way their schedule shakes out, I think the eight and a half, I mean, it's going to be tough. They can get the nine, but I'm just kind of banking on Taylor Green and how well he played last year to come back his sophomore year and play even better. And even if you look at it, they beat four Mountain West components, including Fresno State and San Diego State, who are their two biggest competitors, by an average of 36 to 14. So they really kind of found a second gear the latter half of last year. Um, and I'm banking on them to transition that into this year. They did lose a lot of people on defense, um, as I talked to, but I just think I believe in the Broncos this year. And I think this is the year that they kind of get back into the conversation of one of the best teams in the group of five, maybe make a play at the group or or New Year's six group of five bowl. But uh, I still think that goes to an athletic conference or American athletic conference this year, but I'm, I think they're going to win the Mountain West this year. Yeah, Taylor Green will definitely be one of the most fun players to watch. I mean, he's huge. He's a great running quarterback. I think he's like 6'6", and uh, that's it's always fun to watch. So, you know, it's a huge year for them. They they got to reestablish themselves because you, you risk falling out of relevancy so quickly because we don't think about Boise the way we do five years ago, and we certainly don't think about them the way we did 10 years ago in 2013. So uh, this is a big year for Boise, a big year for Andy Avalos there, and and they have a big chance, and a lot of it is on the shoulders of, of Taylor Green. So I'm excited to watch it. He is 6'6", and even in the bowl game against North Texas, he rushed 12 times for 120 yards and two touchdowns. So he's definitely the dual-threat guy that's just... It's not got to be fun to see someone 6'6", that you got to go and tackle. Yeah, and that's what makes football awesome. So excited to watch him this year. And I'm excited to actually watch some real football games this weekend, Ben. It's week zero, and we have football, but maybe not the most exciting slate. So I want to start there. How do you feel about week zero in general and this slate in particular and you know how it kicks off the college football season? Do you like it? Would you rather just skip it all together? Would you rather have more big matchups? What, what would, how, how do you feel about this whole setup and how, what would you do if you were running college football? So I do like it, sort of. I'm like half into it. Part of the reason that I think it is cool is stuff like the Navy Notre Dame game in Dublin. Like I think it's really fun to do kind of a showcase game like that the week before that's in a non-traditional environment. Um, Kind of thinking like those, you know, those random college basketball games that are like on a battleship somewhere. Um, I like the idea of having a matchup in a unique location. So that part is fun. Um, other than that though, I do wish there was like one other better game. I mean, I think Notre Dame is still heavily favored, but that's still a big game in the rivalry of Navy and Notre Dame, even though Notre Dame won so many times until they finally lost here in the last couple of years. Um, but I like having an early, I just wish there was better. Like other than that game, I mean, Ohio San Diego state is going to be a pretty good game, but just give me a little bit more. It's just, it's such a tease because there's maybe going to be one close game and that's it. And it'll be fun to see, you know, Caleb Williams go out and throw for 500 yards. But other than that, I just wish it was, if they didn't have the Notre Dame Navy game, I would say scrap it, honestly, even though it's not probably going to be the best game, but it is going to be cool to see American football in Ireland. If it didn't have anything like that, I'd say get it out of here. Just, you know, Wait, you know, it's like a half-baked idea. Just wait till week one, 
do it the right way. So as you know, I was at a wedding this past weekend. And it was my sister's wedding. It was a great wedding. ton of fun. Which songs do you think... Give me a guess here. Give me name me a couple songs you think that got the people going the most over the, over this weekend at this wedding. Got people out on the dance floor. Got them excited. Got them dancing. Got the energy high. Give me give me a couple guesses, just real quick. You might be wrong. You might be right, but I have a point with all this. I want you to guess though. One song I feel like is popping in my head. It's not gonna be right. It's gonna be Sweet Caroline. Um... No, no, dead wrong. I know. I said it was going to be wrong, but I said that's that's the whole thing that just stuck in my mind. Uh, turned down for what? Turned down for that is good. I think they did play that, but I'll, I'll tell you the two songs that really stood out to me: uh, "Love Story" by Taylor Swift and "Mr. Brightside" by. I was going to say Killers. "Mr. Brightside," yeah, the Killers. Yeah, "Mr. Brightside." So I have a point with all this and how it relates to Week Zero. Those are songs that have a wide ranging appeal. Everybody knows those songs. They're high energy. People know those artists. Mr. Brightside, I looked around the room, and everybody between the ages of 20 and 50 knew the words to Mr. Brightside because of the time it came out, where people were at in their lives with it. It's continued to stay a popular bar song, whatever. Taylor Swift, everybody loves Taylor Swift, and she's in the midst of this era's tour, and that's an awesome song too. But my point here is, you got to give people something they want to see, something they know, something they want to hear. You can't just roll out the season with UMass and New Mexico State, Hawaii and Vandy, FIU and Louisiana Tech, and expect people to be excited about the season. And I've heard a lot of people be like, what more do you want? It's football. Okay, well, like, yeah, I'm, I am addicted to football, but... I mean, I still want to watch something good. Like, you know, I, I'm going to watch some of it for sure. But you know what? It's a long enough season now that there's plenty of people that are going to say, no, I'm not going to waste my time with this. So I'm not above saying that they should give us something interesting and give us something good. I really liked it a few years ago. They had Florida, Miami on that opening weekend. You you got to give us one really big, good game. Unfortunately, Navy-Notre Dame's not it. There's been some years where Navy can make it pretty interesting. This isn't one of those years. I, I want something big. I want the Killers. I want Taylor Swift. I don't want a song that nobody's ever heard of. This would have been perfect to have LSU Florida State. Like, have that headline this weekend instead of next weekend. Other uh, question before... Mr. Brightside, I feel like, was not as popular when it first came out. I feel like it randomly got more popular years after it came out. Agreed. I think it's become kind of a closing the bar song for some reason. And I'm a little past my going out prime, so not ever there when the bar closes. But that's what I've heard. Okay, but it's interesting because, like, it came out when we were in college, and I feel like it did get played a little bit, but now I feel like so many people love it, and it's played at weddings, where I feel like back in the early 2000s, it wasn't played, or 2010s, I should say, because it came out in 2009. Think about, like, when we were in school, I'm pretty sure they were playing Closing Time, which came out in the 90s to close the bars, right? So Stanley I feel Hudson's like favorite song. It's just a... 
<laughs> That's a good pull. Good reference. But I, th- I think for some reason, some songs just have a way of sticking around, and this is one of them. It's true. I guess it is a very good singing song. People like yeah, it's a good singing song. Exactly. Very interactive. It's, it, not a lot of words. Interactive, high energy, exciting. So let's talk about some of these games, Ben. We're not the most exciting slate, but we are going to watch them because it is football. And the, probably the headliner of it is Navy versus Notre Dame in Dublin. I am excited to see what Sam Hartman looks like in a Notre Dame uniform. I am excited to see what a non-Tommy Reese offense looks like at Notre Dame. And uh, I'm excited to see if Notre Dame can take care of business in which is something they had trouble with last year, obviously losing to Marshall early in the season. I'm excited to see what year two of the Marcus Freeman era looks like. So those are all kind of the things I'm interested in. I do have a bet in this game. I am going under 49 and a half in this game. A reminder for everybody out there. We have new clock rules in college football. The clock rules are going to be very similar to the NFL now, where even when you make a first down, um, the the clock does not stop like they used to. And this will, other than um, two minutes left in the first half and two minutes left in the game, we'll kind of stay with the old college football rules where the clock stops on a first down. We are going to be going with NFL clock rules. That's going to make the games go faster. That's going to make there be fewer plays. And when you have a team like Navy, who is going through a coaching change of their own with uh, Ken Niamatololo, out and uh, a new head coach in who comes from Kennesaw State where they did run a triple option and they're still going to be a very heavy running team. They're still going to run the ball a lot is my point here. I think it's going to take a little bit to see how these new clock rules impact the game, but with a team that runs the ball a lot in Navy, with a team that wants to pound the ball with Audric Estime in Notre Dame, I think that this game is going to move quick. I don't think there's going to be a ton of plays. So I like the under 49 and a half here, Ben. I like that too. I mean, I uh, think it's going to be a lot of grinding out at the end. So, I mean, unless Sam Hartman lights it up all of a sudden the first half, I think you got it here. And aside on Notre Dame, is like, is Sam, could Sam Hartman be a model? Um, let me look up his picture again. I, I feel mean, like it was. Like he looks like an Abercrombie. He looks like an Abercrombie model. Did he have this great flowing beard last year too? I don't know. I don't remember it very well. But I mean, it's and you know what it is. I think he had the beard, but he didn't have the hair. Yeah, I think like, it's he's the got hair a very is... thick. But no, have you seen? No, I feel like he just got this. It is lusciously thick at Notre Dame right now. And I feel like that fits with Notre Dame. Yeah, it is. But it like, is. But I mean, he's got this beard. He's got these flowing locks. I feel like he could be in black and white on an Abercrombie bag in 2003. Yeah, he's got a, he's got a strong jaw. Good little smile. Yeah, I can see it. I can see it. No doubt about it. Uh, ben, if you are watching this game, put on your Notre Dame hat. What do you want to see from them? Uh... I want them to just have a competent offense. Um, I want to see Sam Hartman get involved early, get comfortable, make some good plays, and then just pound the football and have the defense do what the defense should do. Um, I feel like it's not going to be a great test for Notre Dame yet, but you know, still got September 23rd circle of my calendar to see that, uh, Ohio State game. 
So, but I think, you know, it, it'll be a really good test in the sense of I'm curious to see how Notre Dame's going to employ Sam Hartman and how it's going to affect their offense without Tommy Reese and what they're planning to do with him. Because if it was in a Tommy Reese offense, I would expect Sam Hartman to do well worse, way worse than he did last year. But it's not Tommy Reese offense, so I'm actually interested to see how it's going to shake out. I was going to say, can you, like, every time I hear Tommy Reese, I'm like, he is the freaking coordinator for Alabama football. Why? can't tell you how many times I've heard the name Tommy Reese cursed in my group chats with my sisters and brother-in-law because they hated his play calling at Notre Dame. And yet he's at now one of the best schools in the country. We will see. We will see whether he was held back by Notre Dame or whether he was holding Notre Dame back. It'll be very interesting to see this year at Alabama. Let's move on to our next game here. UTEP going to Jacksonville State. Jacksonville State, a school moving up from the FCS to the FBS. Their first year moving up a level. Jacksonville State, not in Jacksonville, Florida, in Alabama, actually. And this is a school that beat Florida State a couple years ago, early in the Mike Norvell tenure. Um, on I think it was a pretty crazy end-game Hail Mary where Florida State just didn't cover well but uh so they have a history of success here look i don't know a lot about jacksonville state i don't really have time to watch the fcs i can barely have enough time to watch the entire fbs plus all the college basketball plus all the other sports that i try to watch but you know something i am pretty good at ben it's interpreting data especially when it's this easy and ken sagarin puts together ratings every year, uh, advanced stats, but he groups the FBS and FCS together in one big ranking, right? And last year, Jacksonville State was 119th in the country. UTEP was 128th in the country. This is Jacksonville State's first home game as an FBS school, first game as an FBS school. They were actually better than UTEP last year. They have a seventh-year quarterback coming back. This is a vibes thing, right? They, they're going to go out. That place is going to be jacked up. It's Alabama. You know they're going to get a big crowd. And give me Jacksonville State to go out and, and win this game. I'm going to take them plus one and a half. I like it. I like it. Uh, Cocky the mascot is uh, going to be going crazy on the field. They're also the Gamecocks, in case you didn't know. And they're Jacksonville State mascot's Gamecocks, name. Okay. Yep, and his name is Cocky. So. He's I think that's South Carolina's game. too. I think South Carolina is also cocky. Really? They're just stealing. I think names. so. Oh man, that's pretty funny. Well, while I looked at it, yeah, it is South Carolina's mascot. Cocky is the costume <laughs> mascot of South Carolina. Oh, now I want to see two pictures of them side by side. The drawing I like way better for Jacksonville State. Okay. Um. I'm going to pop this in our chat real quick so you can see it, but it's a pretty fun, pretty fun. Oh, that didn't work. Um, but yeah, just Google Jacksonville state when I'm talking about, uh, Oh, we're going to skip a couple games, but yeah, I'll, I'll just poop on UMass, New Mexico state while you look up the Gamecocks logo for Jacksonville state. Um, this is basically just the worst, of the worst, um, the poopy bowl of the season and UMass is probably UMass and their three wins in the last four seasons. Are probably going to lose by, I think surprisingly, they're only a touchdown underdog or seven and a half. But um, them having to fly across country to go to New Mexico State, I don't think anyone's going to be watching this game. I think it's probably going to be like a 28 to 14 game, and we'll probably have about 1,300 people in the entire country actually watching it. So. 
All right. So are you betting New Mexico State or are you not betting anything? I don't want to even think about this game. I want to pretend this game doesn't exist. So I Well, you said they were going to win, so I was just curious. Yeah, I mean, I I I was just spitballing. I think they're seven and a half favorites, and if that's true, I would bet them. But New Mexico State is also no. That yeah, it's bad. six. It's New Mexico State minus six and a half, so it's under a touchdown. Okay. So if you if you want it, you can get it there. So if I'm gonna if I'm gonna give a bet for this, I would say that because UMass just is not yeah. winning a game ever. Yeah, we don't need to linger on that one for too long. What else do you got from a betting perspective here this weekend? You want to hear about it? Uh, so one that I love is San Jose State USC. Uh, the over of 66 and a half. Big over. First game of the season. I don't know. You may say, Ben, that sounds a little scary to me. We got these new rules involved. But I will say this. Caleb Williams, on a mission, wants to throw for a lot of yards. Ten of USC's games last year hit that mark of over 66 and a half. Not including the Notre Dame game that was at 65. And San San Jose State has a pretty good offense. And we know USC has a pretty bad defense. So Shavon Cordiero is the San Jose State quarterback. He was pretty good last year. Um, A nice little 23-6 touchdown interception ratio. So they also have a pretty good wide receiver in Elijah Cooks. So I just see this game being like 66 to 21 or 66 to 14 or even like 55 to 14 and you get over that 66 mark so i think that is a pretty good number i think it's harder to make that number higher because first game of the season you haven't seen it but we know usc is going to have a crazy good offense defense we don't know it's going to be that good and san jose state is pretty good on offense so i think it's just going to be a shootout 66-14 was the final score in their opener last year against Rice. That's probably the game on last year's schedule it's most comparable to. So, yeah, I mean, I can definitely see it. I don't have a strong thought on it either way, uh, but look, it's probably never wrong to bet on a USC over, especially early in the year before it starts getting higher and higher and higher. They could easily go out and put put up 66 themselves in this game. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't hate it at all, but I'm, I'm not investing in it myself. But the next game I want to talk about here is the one I'm probably looking forward to the most, and that's Ohio going to Snapdragon Stadium to take on San Diego State. It looks to be one of the more competitive games on the day based on the point spread. San Diego State's a minus two and a half point favorite. Ohio, as we've talked about a bunch today, is one of the teams that is going to challenge or is expected to challenge Toledo for that Matt crown. They have Curtis Rourke coming back, the Maple Missile. He is coming off a knee injury, but he's a guy who was thought very highly of. He's graded out as PFF's top quarterback last year ahead of every name that you heard of. Ahead of Caleb Williams, Drake May, uh, CJ Stroud, Hendon Hooker, you name it. He was ahead of them in PFF's quarterback gradings last season. So there's a lot of excitement about this Ohio team. Having said all that, I'm taking San Diego State minus two and a half. I just think that when the MAC goes out of conference, it's very tough for them 
to compete. I think the talent level in the Mountain West, especially at a top-tier Mountain West school like San Diego State, is significantly better than it is in the MAC. We've talked a lot about Toledo this this episode, and last year Toledo played San Diego State. Toledo finally got over the hump. San Diego State had one of their worst seasons in recent memory where they fired an offensive coordinator, and yet San Diego State won that game. San Diego State has a new offensive coordinator this year in Ryan Lindley coming in. Don't know a ton of what to expect from that offense. He did coach under Leach, so you know there's some air raid principles potentially there, but they're not expected to run a true air raid from what I've read. It sounds like they're going to try to emphasize their strengths as much as possible, which is their I think it's still going to be their tight ends and their running backs. So I wouldn't expect a true air raid or anything, uh, and I wouldn't expect a super explosive offense with just the tradition of San Diego State being a defensive-focused team, Brady Hoke being a defensive-focused coach, but they are making a change there. But the reason I'm backing San Diego State is because I just think it's tough for the MAC to go out of conference. If you look at the profiles of San Diego State and Iowa State last year, they were very similar. Both strong defensively, not so great offensively. Iowa State, definitely a better defense, but they, they, they have similar profiles. Well, when Ohio played Iowa State, they could absolutely not compete with that team. They got blown out, and I just think this game should be more than a field goal. It was 43-10 uh, Iowa State beat Ohio last year. I don't expect it to be that quite that bad. I don't put San Diego State's talent quite on the same tier as Iowa State, but they have similar profiles. I expect, I just trust Brady Hoke and San Diego State to put out a quality defense. They have some good players in the secondary. If Rourke's trying to throw the ball down the field, I, I think that San Diego State can definitely hold their own there. I think there's a real home field advantage at Snapdragon Stadium in San Diego. And I just, I like that Mountain West versus MAC matchup. I think it's tough for these MAC teams when they go out of conference. So give me San Diego State laying less than a field goal at home. I like it. I hope Rourke has a better game than he had against Iowa State last year against the San Diego State team. Hopefully the Maple Missile fires some missiles, but I do like and agree with you that San Diego State will probably prevail on this one. Other game to just touch on briefly here is Hawaii going to Vandy. Vandy, they made some really solid, solid steps last year. They beat Florida. They beat Kentucky. It was an exciting year for Vanderbilt football. Hawaii, kind of the opposite under in the first year under Timmy Chang, the program legend. They're looking to turn it around a little bit more. Vandy blasted them on the road last year. This time, Hawaii goes to Nashville to take on Vanderbilt. Uh, Vandy is about a 17.5-point favorite. I've seen a lot of love for Hawaii plus 17.5. Look, I, I want to watch this game, and I would like to be invested on it. I just don't have a great sense either way, and uh, don't don't feel like I want to invest my money here. I'm with you on that one. I just have no idea. I mean, it's just... It's a game I'm going to just peek at, but not invest in. Well, that's it. That's our show for today. Football is here. This weekend, we will be watching college football, and then we have it all to look forward. It's all in front of us. We should have a great season coming up, and we're looking forward to covering it for you right here on Tailgate Till May. We'll be back on Sunday to recap 
the week zero action and talk about our preseason best bets before we hit week one of the season. Until next time, keep the grill hot and the cooler cold.